For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time once again for This Week in Oklahoma Politics with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and sitting in for Ryan Kiesel is State Representative Forrest Bennett. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hi. The Veterans Commission met on Tuesday after VA Executive Director Doug Elliott came under fire for a report by the state auditor and inspector finding a, quote, culture of fear and, quote, toxic environment in the Department of Veterans Affairs. Elliott defended his actions and instead attacked the audit as politically motivated. Neva, does it strike you as disingenuous to be attacking Auditor Gary Jones <laughs> in his office for this report? Well, I think when you take in context the seven-hour meeting and, and, and the board members highly critical of the auditor uh, to this extent, I mean, they, they kept making the point that you have uh, a lot of opinions in your audit and you have a lot of information, but you don't really have a, a lot of facts, I mean, to back it up. And so they were really questioning, was this more uh, just the give and take of the politics of the agency and the folks that liked changes or didn't like changes? Uh, clearly, the uh, commission uh, supported their executive director. Uh, the fact that he has um, made some tough cuts, made some tough changes that, you know, aren't always uh, liked by both the uh, folks inside an agency as well as those that have uh, individuals being uh, uh, being helped in this instance the veterans uh, in these veteran centers across the state so uh, you know I think you have to look at the total composite picture and kind of uh, the takeaway is that there's you know there, there's some give and take on both sides but at the end of the day uh, they they remain steadfast behind their executive director when there was a call by many of these outside uh, individuals to uh, uh, to have him fired Representative Bennett well, I, I think it's frustrating that the conversations about the Veterans Affairs are happening around sort of the politics of the agency rather than um, the services that they're delivering. I got a call from a constituent a couple of weeks ago whose friend um, that he served in the military with and the Marines with um, uh, developed an illness and uh, had a lot of trouble getting access to care through the VA and ended up uh, succumbing to that illness and, and passing away. And my my friend, my constituent, made a great point. He said, you know, us veterans, uh, when we do something wrong, when, when we're found on the, the street with, you know, with uh, something we shouldn't have or we've, we've committed some petty crime, um, there's no shortage of people who are willing to point out that we're some veteran with a problem. But when we try to seek care, we don't get it. And so um, I, I want to make sure that in this department that if there is a culture of fear and intimidation, that we do something about that because if that is getting in the way of our bureaucracy being able to deliver services to vets who need it, um, then we need to take care of it. But to Neva's point, um, if it is a lot of he said, she said stuff, I wish that we could get through that and get to the substance of of what kind of policies are being implemented there. Well, and I think one of the perfect illustrations was the whole conversation about uh, whether or not there would be a lab at each of the each of the centers and and the point was made that that it had cost 2.3 million dollars uh, for the for that to uh, take place on site to have to have that uh, where when they privatized it or or sent it out they contracted it it was less than a half a million so these savings are significant I think it's not just to cut you know cut to cut uh, any more than to say it's not uh, uh, feasible to have doctors full time on staff at these facilities uh, when they can't be competitive on the on the pay scale with the with the private sector. 
sector. So I think I think people want veteran services. I think they want it done uh, correctly and properly. And I think now they've got to sort through and how to make all of this work. And and I applaud any commission uh, of of men and women who are volunteers who come in and give their time and service uh, to try to uh, work with these agencies and do the right thing. And there was certainly controversy about the Tallahena Veteran Center. There and and that seems to be at the at the at really at the yeah. forefront of all of this. Democratic gubernatorial candidate De- Drew Edmondson releases a plan for education a little more than a week after learning of his Republican opponent in November. He's calling on reduced class sizes and more textbooks, social workers and teaching assistants to pay for it. He says he wants to increase gross production tax to 7%. The plan and his candidacy were endorsed by former OU president David Boren. Representative Bennett, what do you think of this plan? It's ambitious. <laughs> um, and I, I do applaud Drew for, um, for, for coming out and, and standing on principle and talking about these things. Um, I, you know, I benefit from having the experience of being in the Capitol when we were discussing these things. I know that a lot of people uh, were advocating for 7%, but a lot of people told us that we couldn't get 5%, and that happened. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we made progress. I know that we've sat here before, and I've, uh, and, and I've been told that, that it's sort of a pie-in-the-sky idea to get what we, we ended up getting, but um, we were happy with the balance of regressive to progressive taxes that were in that package that 1010 um, provided. I think the bigger story is that in, in uh, Kevin Stitt's response, he's, he, he reiterated that he would not have signed um, 1010XX. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so I, I, would, I would love to hear more specifically um, – what his what his plan would be? What do you think, Neva? That that kind of lays down the gauntlet. That uh, hey, what 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 is your plan? To well, do? and I think I think that in in addition to what he said, he would or wouldn't sign. Uh, what Kevin Stitt added was the fact that when you look at the revenue picture now, we have a billion dollars more uh, coming into the coffers than we did uh, previously. We have tax increases that are kicking in. So the 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 forecast for the future in terms of the economic, uh, you know, the budget uh, picture for the le- the next legislature is very different. And I think he was setting the stage for that. Frankly, when we talk about the things that were really outlined in this education plan, they're not that different than what has been outlined for decades in education plans by gubernatorial candidates on both sides, Republican and Democrat. I think we all accept and recognize the big picture takeaway of where our deficiencies are in in the education picture. I think think the rub is in, as as Forrest says, it's in the the budget. It's getting in and figuring out how do we get these dollars to the classroom? How do we get them out of the the administrative bloat in all of these uh, school districts? And and, and really get into the specifics of it. And I think that's going to be the challenge for the next governor to uh, to really kind of cast that vision and then work hand in hand with a legislature to try to really get some real results. If, if I could add there, yeah. Neva, um, yes, the, Kevin, Kevin Stitt pointed out that we are going to be having uh, a lot more money to deal with in the next legislative session. I think you're also going to hear from a lot of school districts, specifically rural ones, who are having trouble covering this um, – pay raise and, and doing some of the other things that they need to do. What was so remarkable and what I told teachers um, was so remarkable about what happened this spring with the walkout was that we did raise nearly half a billion new dollars for education. And what was 
specifically remarkable about that was despite that large number, it wasn't quite enough. And I know people love to talk about you can't throw money at a problem, but that was the one thing that we had not done for a long time was try to throw some money at the problem. And so what I would like to see is us be patient, see how this plays out, see how much money we're going to have, and do listen to the districts um, and, and not approach it in this sort of, well, you got so much last year, why are you asking for more kind of thing. You know, when you implement policy, it looks one way on paper and it may work out a different way in reality. We need to see how it plays out and if there are any corrections that need to be made. And my, my hope is that we won't have to do too much, but if there is something that we need to do to shore up costs, especially for rural districts, we're going to need well, to do Well, I that. think the other thing is, as we, as we look to school board elections coming up mm-hmm. early next year, as we look to uh, at the local level, I think what we really have to continue to emphasize and I think promote and educate uh, the public is that they need to become more engaged with their local school districts, with their local school board members, not just assume that the, uh, that the superintendents and the leadership uh, in those positions positions are going to always do the right thing or do it the way they would like to see it done where their dollars are being spent at the local level in those districts. I think that's I think that's something that's oftentimes just kind of swept aside and we talk about it from just exclusively a legislative perspective right. and that's that's only a part of this total total Getting picture and dealing the with local, the problem yeah, that's right the local the school board stuff but also uh, you know we've learned from the last elections that that these education is foremost in people's minds in oklahoma so this kind of what edmondson's announcement kind of keeps it still in the forefront it is of and, about and hopefully we'll see more people running for school board positions as opposed to what has historically been the case of folks get on the school board they stay for years and mm-hmm. decades and there's very little change and it becomes almost a rubber stamp situation where that even they are not always as proactive as probably people assume they uh, are going to be or uh, e- even um, anticipate that they should be more people yeah. running and more people voting on school board yeah and I, yeah. I mean the number of teachers who you know uh, representative roberts and teague uh, offered these bills that would deal with superintendent salaries and we had conversations about that during the walkout and i think what what was illuminating for a lot of teachers was to find out that the, those decisions are actually made at the school board level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when I talk government and when I've talked to, to teachers and voters, and I talk to them all the time about how the, the enthusiasm was always at the, the biggest race, but the biggest impact um, that, a, that a politician can have is at the most local level. And right. so, you, you know, your, your school board vote, your city council vote is, is almost more important than, um, than you know, who, who you've cast your vote for, for higher offices. And, I'm I'm really hoping that that enthusiasm does uh, trickle down to yeah. the local level. Yeah, which is what we've been telling people forever. We're kind of preaching <laughs> to the choir, too. Yeah, right. Most of our listeners do <laughs> go out and vote. But, um, but, yeah, but we do know also the general elections are less than a month away uh, and, and, and it's less than two months away, sorry, and yet less than two months away. <laughs> and yet even before the first votes are cast, we already know there's going to be a big shift in the state government First, nearly every statewide elected official will be new. Uh, but because of term limits, resignations, and primary defeats, the House is losing more than 40% of its members, uh, while the Senate is losing 25%. And this doesn't even include what might happen in November 6th. Neva, you briefly touched on this last week, but what does this mean for the situation on 23rd and Lincoln next year? Well, I think what it what it means is what we did talk about last week, a lot of new faces. I mean, it's it's going to be, uh, as, as we see each election cycle now, with more and more of the impact of term limits, uh, this is this is the changing face of the Oklahoma legislature, and it has uh, positive 
elements to it, but I think it also has some uh, some uh, difficult elements to it, and that is that with all of uh, with all of those new faces, it becomes more and more critical for them to jumpstart quickly, get infused into the the real process of legislating and the committee work and all of the all of the uh, intricacies that the public doesn't pay attention to and it, and sends folks up there to to do their business, to do the people's business. But I think that it is incumbent upon those returning uh, in these key positions of leadership that they make sure that there is a, a very good education process for these folks coming in on both sides of the aisle. And frankly, as we've talked about uh, at the end of the last session, I personally hope that we'll see a much more, um, a, a much better atmosphere where both parties can work together. I mean, the majority party working across the aisle where possible and that the, that the, that the minority party being willing to engage in a conversation that is not shrill or, or, are totally one-dimensional, but trying to really delve into these problems. And let's let's now use all of these new faces, starting with the governor, secondary office holders, and on down the line, uh, to really do some exciting things for the people of Oklahoma. Representative Bennett, you're going to be the grizzled old veteran <laughs> down the Capitol soon. Well, you stole my thunder there. I was going to say you guys have the, the pleasure of talking to one of the most tenured members of the legislature now. <laughs> and how long is that? Year? Two years. Two years. years. So, yeah, no, and, and to Nita's point, you know, uh, um, there is quite a quite a steep learning curve, yeah. and I think I think back to the, my last two years, my first two years, and think, my gosh, you know, it's sort of like looking back at college and thinking, man, if I had it to do over again, knowing mm-hmm. what I know now, I'd do things differently, uh, maybe study harder. Uh, but <laughs> but to me, it's, it's the same deal with the legislature. I mean, as a freshman, you are it's like drinking from a fire hose. That's what mm-hmm. everybody says, and it's true. <laughs> um, my goal is to you know reach out to legislators that that will be. Um, freshly elected in November and try to use that time between November and February to get with them and, and figure out what issues matter to them on both sides of the aisle. Um, the, the young man who, who beat uh, Jeff Cootie in the, in the runoff, he's a friend of mine from college. While we have a great Democratic candidate down there, I know the reality, and, um, and he's called me. Uh, to his credit, he called me and said, hey, look, you know, I think I'm going to be coming up there, and I'd, I'd love to get together. And um, you know, to hedge my bets, I'm going to make sure that I have a conversation with him too, and um, and I'm hoping that other candidates will. And I say this all the time: um, I I do not expect Republicans to to abandon their principles on the issues that they care most about, nor do I want them to expect that from me. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I need to moderate my my positions on anything. What we need is civility, right? Um, and I think that's what I hope that's what you're going to see with this new batch of legislators. Uh, and I will with I will be stroking my white beard and <laughs> and looking at them. You and go, Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like there was a time when Oklahoma legislature, yes, you disagreed on topics, but you still hung out and were friends. And I mean, it was it was just people who was working together. There, yeah, you disagreed on how you wanted to do things, but you still worked together. And I I just feel like after covering state capital for ten years now. I see that less and less. And do you hope that something like that, we might get back to that kind of civility? That- Absolutely. And I think every every legislature has a certain personality I mean, the, in the composite. I mean, and so with all of these new faces coming in, we'll see what the, what the real temperament tone, where they come from in terms of why they ran, what kind of campaign they came out of, how that affected them in terms of what they heard from their voters on the yeah. doorsteps. Because I know, you know, I'm sure Forrest in his first race, I mean, you saw 
saw that yeah. as you talk to people. I mean, it begins to give you a sense of these are the people that I hope will send me to the legislature to do their business. And so you're very cognizant of what what they think and what they're saying and what their issues are that keep coming up over and over and over again. We know education's one of them, but there are many others. Oh, yeah. And so uh, I, I think it will be I think it will be an interesting time, and I'm hopeful. I mean, I think I think every Oklahoman should look at this, uh, particularly with the the fact that we've dug ourselves out of a very deep hole and we now are have prospects of being able to to make some real change to look at places we do need to do some reforms we do need to modernize uh, some of some of state government a good portion of it frankly and those are those are big sweeping changes that won't happen overnight but they can be done if we can develop a collaborative effort and build some consensus on what is best it may not be what any any particular group likes in total but if we can reach that consensus point, I think we'll be much better off as a state. And it also comes down to who's your leadership there uh, sure. in, in the House and Senate, because that, that, those are the people that are going to guide the ship on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. And, I, you know, um, Speaker McCall is in, a, is in a race for re-election down there with a car dealer uh, <laughs> down in Falls Valley uh, or Davis. Um, and our, our minority leader has a race as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that they'll both be fine. But I'm hoping... Um, that we will come back. And I've really been retrospective about this, especially in light of, of uh, John McCain's sort of parting message. Um, that was really moving to me. And, I, and I've, I've been forced to look at myself and think, could I have been a little less bombastic uh, in, in the way I delivered my messages in, in the legislature my first two years? And the answer is yes. Uh, I, I can channel my passion in a little bit different way. Um, if you watch the legislature, I would oftentimes raise my voice a bit, and then when the debate was over and the votes had been cast, I would walk across the, the floor and talk to the, to the person that I had been upset with, and, and things would be fine between us. But I recognize now that despite how quickly those feelings dissipate within the building, we, it resonates. Mm-hmm. And the people that follow us um, and, and look to us for messages and leadership um, they hold on to that a little bit more. And so, you know, I, I've got to certainly be responsible for representing the, the, the will of my constituents, making the right relationships that I need to in the Capitol to do that, fighting for the right things, but also being responsible in how I deliver those messages. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying here today that I recognize that I have not been as good about that as I, as I could have been. And I'm hoping that my that my my colleagues in the legislature will also think about that. Um, <laughs> I can't promise you I won't <laughs> uh, get a little excitable um, next session. But with the new makeup of the legislature, my hope is that the policies that we're just debating and discussing won't um, they won't produce such passionate. Uh, debate on both sides. I mean, you think about the things that we... And I think if that happens inside the building, it will temper what happens outside the building, that we won't have, uh, we won't have those equal difficulties with groups feeling the need to up the ante and up the, you know, the shrill kind of stark uh, fight between, you know, between each other that really at the end serves very little purpose. A local high school teacher testifies before the U.S. Senate. Uh, Melissa Smith from U.S. Grant was an active participant in the teacher walkout this year and this week testified in opposition to Supreme Court judicial nominee Brett Kavanaugh as a guest of the Senate Democrats. She says her concerns with Kavanaugh mostly circled around school choice and labor unions. Representative Bennett, were you surprised to see an Oklahoma teacher go to Capitol Hill? 
I was very proud, uh, <laughs> specifically to see a Southside Oklahoma City teacher mm-hmm. go to the Capitol. Um, I appreciated her message. I'm glad that she's talking about this issue um, because the Janus decision that she referenced uh, that that was handed down this summer, saying that unions didn't have a right to uh, to extract dues from their from their member from from employees. Um, it's an important change in the way we look at unions, and I think, and I, you know, I'm trying to find the silver lining in this situation as a guy who supports unions. Um, we are entering an era in in workers' rights where we need people like Melissa who can make an effective argument for why unions are beneficial. I mean, you look at what's happened to workers' rights in the last couple of decades as these anti-union campaigns have have been fought and won. Um, we need people who are passionate supporters to 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 articulate the right message to get people to want to sign up to be union members and and that's that's i think that's going to be the next fight but you saw in missouri that they rejected right to work mm-hmm. um that the makeup of that state is very similar to ours um so melissa represents what i think you're going to be seeing a lot in the next few years which is you know moderate or even right right leaning people in the Midwest and the South uh, standing up and saying, look, you know, we've got to do something about, about workers' rights and, and that it's not just something that can be done at the executive or legislative level, that it's important to think about these issues in terms of judicial situations as well. Neither. Well, I think uh, in Oklahoma, perhaps, I mean, when we talk about union unions and uh, their issues, I think sometimes uh, there's a real difference between what we what we view here in Oklahoma versus nationally. And I think when the, when the union message gets nationalized and it becomes a much more hardline message, I mean, when you talk about a compulsory union membership and you talk about a lot of things that frankly in Oklahoma for for union union members and union families I mean they see some of that very differently not necessarily at the at the extreme margins that I think sometimes the messaging that comes out of Washington and some of their national groups where it really is I mean when you think about many you know many folks uh, uh, that are that are union card member card holding members uh, firefighters that are AFC AFL-CIO and other, you know, others that that are part of the of the big uh, uh, the big picture in in that regard. Um, I, I don't think Oklahomans see them as 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 having not uh, not having a real place to deal with their issues, whether it's pay issues, whatever the issues are, I think we've seen that, that they've had that they've had some real ability to do that, just like at the legislature. I mean, I think their issues have been have been addressed, they've been met, they've been discussed. I mean, they may not always get everything they want exactly, you know, the way they would like to see it, but I don't think that we're void of having that representation and that debate. It may escalate, and I think, you know, in that regard, uh, that will be the question is, do we go back to the idea, can we maintain civility and the proper tone if we do move that direction and uh, kind of take on more of this national backdrop? I hope we don't go there. I mean, the, if anyone can reflect back to many decades ago and the right to fight, uh, the right to work uh, fight, and, and and many of those things that took place politically in Oklahoma, they're not necessarily bright, bright spots in our history. So uh, uh, I, I just think that's a takeaway that we need to really think about. Senator Jim Inhofe takes the reins of the powerful Senate Armed Services Committee. Inhofe took over chairmanship of the committee in the wake of Senator John McCain's death. 
Now, Inhofe has a much better relationship with President Trump than McCain did. Neva, could this make a difference? Well, I mean, I think the chairman of one of the most powerful Senate committees, I mean, is something to be looked at, first of all. I mean, he had been the acting chairman as, uh, as Senator McCain uh, was dealing with his, uh, with his uh, cancer battle through the past year. But, but I think this is a committee that uh, uh, Jim Inhofe understands. He's very passionate about, uh, a veteran himself, just like Senator McCain was. Um, um, he's very focused on this. And, and as Forrest and I talked about just a few minutes ago uh, before we went on the air, I mean, this is a, this is a situation where um, Oklahoma has a lot of military installations, uh, one of the largest Tinker Air Force Base, a major employer uh, in our state and others. So uh, it's not only good for Oklahoma, but I think it is some uh, we have now in this chairmanship, someone who really understands the issue and will really focus and pay attention on what's good, not only in Oklahoma, but for the country. Certainly Inhofe had stood up a lot of times with BRAC, with uh, Vance and And, uh, and Oklahoma's Sill always and, fared very well. Because of, because of <laughs> Inhofe. Right. So that, uh, that's got to be somewhat good. Well, sure. I mean, you've got to be proud of the senator for he's come a long way since throwing a snowball on the floor of the United <laughs> States Senate. Um, I do. I mean, I recognize that it's good for um, for Oklahoma's bases, which are incredible economic drivers and, and wonderful for especially, you know, in, in our push to diversify the economy. Uh, companies that are moving that do work with with those um, uh, bases are important. I do. I do hope uh, that, uh, you know, I. I am a generation that has most of my life known war. Um, the kids that are in high school today have known war their entire lives. They do not know a time in America that we've not been engaged in a war with a foreign nation. Um, and I'm, I, I hope that he is able to um, moderate a healthy discussion about America's role in the world and how we approach those uh, things. I am, I am just a lowly state legislator, <laughs> but as a, as a member of the human race, uh, I, I'm hopeful that, that America can be smart about the way we engage in, in the world. And uh, Jim Inhofe has been a hawk for a long time, I think. Um, and so I will be watching with interest to see how he, how he takes the reins there. But no question, it will be wonderful for the bases here, as will uh, Congressman Russell's position. But, um, but I'm, I'm just a, a young man who's worried about the future of America and the world. So uh, that, I'll leave it at that. And Neva and Ryan's, uh, Neva and Representative Bennett's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KLSU, its staff, or management.